Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Rambam, Hilcha Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, Patek Esrim, chapter 20. Interesting law. <clears throat> Let me give a little background. In the Ten Commandments, it says, Lo, Sasa, Komalocha, you should not engage in any labor. <clears throat> Who should not engage in labor? Ata, you. As they say in the South, Yal. Ubincha, your son. Ubitecha, your daughter. Biabdecha, Bamasecha, your male or female slave. Who we learned earlier are Jews. They are obligated to keep Shabbos. But there's one more word. Ubehemtecha, your animal. And here in chapter 20, we deal with, or we begin to deal with, the complex laws of the animal of the Jew being obligated to rest on Shabbos. It's like in the Bible. Serious stuff. Aleph 1, Osir Lohetzi Masa It is forbidden to transfer any burden on one's animal on Shabbos. Shenem, <coughs> as it says, Laman Yonuach, Shercha Vachamercha, Vachal Behemtecha. In order that your ox and your donkey and all your animals rest. Echot Sher Vachamer, whether one owns an ox or a donkey, Ve'echot Kol Behemachai, Ve'ep, a domestic or a non domestic animal, fowl, a bird. These are all your animals and they must rest on Shabbos. Therefore, you cannot place a burden upon them. And if he did bring forth into the public domain something on his animal, even though he's commanded to see to it that the animal rests on Shabbos, there is not the application of lashes because its prohibition is derived from a positive commandment. If somebody drives, guides his animal on Shabbos, and there is a burden on it, Potter is exempt, it's forbidden, but he's exempt because it is something that is learned from the positive commandment, because the words, are a positive commandment. What are you talking about? It's also a negative commandment. You shall not engage in any labor. You, son, daughter, slave, animal. This means labor. For example, you should not have your animal plow on Shabbos or any of the other violations of Shabbos. So that would mean that that's a law, a negative commandment. Shenitin Lasodis, Mrs. Bezin, which is connected with a possible death penalty imposed by the courts if there were witnesses who warned him and saw him and says, You're not allowed to plow <coughs> with your animal on Shabbos. And he says, I don't care, leave me alone. And they see him. <coughs> Excuse me. But any type of commandment that could result in a death penalty, Vain Lake and Olaf, never has lashes applied to it. As an outgrowth of that, we have an interesting set of laws. It's forbidden for a Jew to lend or to rent a large animal to a non-Jew. 
We're concerned that the non-Jew will work with the animal on Shabbos. And the Jew is commanded to see to it. Thank you. The Jew is commanded to see to it that his animal does not work on Shabbos. If he rents or lends his animal to a non-Jew, the non-Jew is probably going to work with it on Shabbos. Therefore, the halacha is, don't rent it. Don't lend it. Because the animal has to keep Shabbos, because it's your animal. As an outgrowth of that, Asru Chachamim, our sages forbade, Limker to sell Behemagasa, a large animal, the to a non-Jew. Shemayashil Ayaskir, perhaps if he gets used to selling, he'll also lend or rent. Because in a person's mind, sales, rentals, it's all the same. So look at these rabbinic decrees. What if he did sell? Our sages say, don't sell your animal, lest you rent. What if he did sell? Then there is a penalty. He has to buy it back. How much does he have to pay? Up to ten times the price. Because he violated this rabbinic decree. They told him not to sell your large animal to an Andrew, lest you rent it, and he sold it. He has to get it back. Even an animal with a broken leg, how much work can an animal with a broken leg already do? Do not sell it. However, and this is a pretty important however, you're allowed to use an agent to sell it. Because agents sell. We're not concerned that the agent will forget and rent. The person himself might confuse selling with renting. The agent is an agent to sell. So here we see how this system works. It's actually phenomenal, especially in our culture, where we don't deal with that many working animals. I mean, you know. Dalit, at least I don't. I'm from New Jersey. You're allowed to sell a horse to a non-Jew. Why is a horse different? Manishtana. Because a horse is only used for people to ride on. And not for burdens. So, all right, so the person is going to be riding. That's also carrying. Uh-uh, we learned earlier about a living, healthy person carries himself. And technically, you can't be culpable for carrying a person. Technically. And just as we the, the, our sages decreed that a Jew should not sell his animal to a non-Jew lest he get to rent it. So also, you can't sell your large animal to another Jew who is suspected of selling it to a non-Jew. However, and this is another big however, it's no problem selling a cow to be slaughtered. <coughs> Slaughter is not a problem. However, if there's any suspicion, he has to slaughter it before him. He shouldn't just sell. I feel a share, even 
an ox which was fattened for slaughter. Perhaps he's going to hold them a little bit. And work with them on Shabbos. So here we see again the seriousness of this mitzvah with all the rabbinic decrees attached to it. Hey, in places where it is customary to sell for a Jew to sell to a non-Jew smaller animals, which are not animals for burden, then they could sell. Places where they don't sell, they don't sell. But you never sell a large, non-domesticated animal. Just as a lot, you don't sell a large, domesticated animal. I'm going to have another sip of tea here, excuse me. Ella, al yudei, sirsur, only through an agent. <clears throat> okay. Moving right along in the laws of animals resting on Shabbos. Let me just review the law. The law is you, your son, your daughter must rest on Shabbos. Your slave, there was a time when people had slaves. What is the meaning of a slave in the case of a Jew? A slave becomes a Jew in order for him to be a slave of a Jew? Your male slave or female slave must observe Shabbos. They're as Jewish as you are. Who does not have to observe Shabbos? A non-Jew in your community. Non-Jews don't have to observe Shabbos. And we learned at great length. Can a non-Jew do things for you? Not really. But he can do things for himself. Sometimes he can do things for you if it's not violating this, that, and the other. So now the situation is, let me just give another. All right. Now the situation is, if somebody is walking now on Friday afternoon, we learned earlier, the best thing is it's Friday afternoon, the Shabbos is about to come. If you have a non-Jew who is a friend of yours, who's trustworthy, you give him your purse with your life savings. You have a million dollars in the purse. And this is everything you worked the last 40 years for. What are you going to do with it? You give it to this non-Jew who's a good friend of yours. You trust him. And it's all good. What if he doesn't have that non-Jew there? What does he do with his life savings? Well, you see, but he does have an animal. But the animal has to keep Shabbos. What do you do? Then consistent with the technicalities we learned earlier about Akira and Hanukkah, about lifting up and putting down. He can place his purse on the animal as it's walking. Because it's walking, it's not considered lifting up. And when he wants to stop, just before the animal stops, he takes it while it's walking. Technical getting away with. In order that the animal not stop, while his purse is on the animal, so you don't have the lifting up and the putting down, which we learned earlier is so critical in the technical violation of the laws of carrying from domain to domain. Now, as long as his purse or any item of his is on the animal, which is technically in violation of Shabbos, except that he got away with it by not putting it down or picking it up. He's not allowed to drive the animal even by voice. You know, usually the owner of an animal will guide it by voice. Go, come, sit, stay, giddy up, whoa. 
<laughs> in order that he should not be guilty of driving an animal on Shabbos. Our sages decreed that a person should never place his purse on an animal unless there's no other choice. He doesn't have a trustworthy non-Jew with him. A friend of his whom he trusts, he has no other choice. You can put it on the animal. Other than that, it should absolutely be last recourse. Now, to introduce another halacha we're about to learn. And that is that although every Jew has to keep Shabbos, every Jew has to keep mitzvahs, there are three categories of Jews who don't. What are the three categories? A chedesh. A chedesh is technically someone who's a deaf Mute. He can't hear and he can't speak. And therefore, usually people who can't hear and speak are not 100% functional and therefore they're not obligated to keep Torah law because they're not 100% functional people. This is called a cherish. Nevertheless, they're in the community. We care for them. We love them. But they're not obligated to keep mitzvahs because they're not 100% functional. Another category is a shota. Someone who is not, who is mentally incapacitated. He's not 100%. He's mentally challenged. Again, this person is a wonderful person. We have to take care of him. What we call today special needs, but not obligated to keep Shabbos like everybody else. They're not capable of it. And the third category is caught on a child under the age of bar and bas mitzvah. These are three categories, a cheresh, a deaf mute, a shota, mentally incapacitated, or a caught in a boy or girl under bar and bas mitzvah. These are three people who technically do not have the full burden of mitzvahs upon them, certainly not of Shabbos. Now let's move along to seven. What if this person who has a very precious person with him happens to have with him a deaf mute? Or he happens to have with him someone who is mentally incapacitated and therefore not culpable. The cottoner happens to have with him a child under the age of Baramas Mitzvah. What's the choice? Should he put his purse, his very valuable purse, on an animal? Or on one of these three. Better on the donkey. And not give it to one of these. Despite the fact that all three of these categories, the deaf, mute, the mentally incapacitated, and the child are not culpable, but they're Jews. And therefore they have to be trained as Jews. And it's Shabbos. And what will people say? And how will they feel? And so on and so on and so forth. Now if he has no animal and all he has is the deaf mute or the person who is mentally incapacitated. Better to give it to the person mentally incapacitated than the deaf mute. Mentally incapacitated and a child. Better give it to the mentally incapacitated person. The child will grow up soon and become a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah soon. Whatever you wish. If you didn't have an animal. You didn't have a trustworthy non-Jew. You didn't have any of the above three. 
What should he do? The same thing as before. He goes less than four cubits. Less than four cubits. Less than four cubits and stops. Technically getting away with it. Now, that is with one's purse. One's life savings. This law even applies to one who found something precious. It's not his. He found it. Now it's his. But still it's precious. That solution can also kick in if there is no other solution. However, before he took possession of it, better he should wait until dark and carry it normally after Shabbos. But if that's impossible, he could take it Less than four amas, less than four amas, less than four amas. Ches eight mutala limshech as habehema b'mesig beres and shalab b'shusarabim. It is permitted to lead an animal in the public domain with its reins, its bridle. The issue is: Are you carrying the reins? Are you carrying the bridle? If that bridle and reins are appropriate for that animal. Again, for example, and he gives a list of <coughs> appropriate leading materials for appropriate animals. Shir lasus v'efsor legomel v'chatam lenoko v'sugar lekelev. A horse with a neck ring, a camel with a rope tied to his mouth, a female camel with an iron bit, and a dog with a muzzle. Avalim heitzi behema b'mesik sheimish tameres. However, if he takes out an animal with a bridle, that's not sufficient for it. It's not. Secure, for example, he took a rope and tied it in the mouth of a horse. Or too heavy, too, too much, overkill. It is secure with something less than that. He took a donkey out with that which you use for a horse, or a cat with a muzzle, a muzzle for a dog. The bottom line is, is anything that's overkill or underkill is considered a burden. Nine, he shouldn't tie camels together and lead them. I feel like you should of Shabbos, even if they were tied together before Shabbos, there is no problem with knots. They're not pulled on Shabbos. But he can place the ropes in his hand, as long as the rope doesn't hang down a hand breadth, because then we're concerned that he may be carrying, or people may see him and think he's carrying the rope. And the rope from the mouth of the animal to his hand has to always be higher than a hand breadth from the ground. Why shouldn't he pull Camels tied to each other. So he explains their concern. People will look at this guy. He looks like a God-fearing Jew. And it looks like he's taking camels to the market to sell them. And you're not allowed to sell camels on Shabbos. Or it looks like he's racing them. Or, or doing sport with them. And for that reason, an animal should not go out wearing a bell around its neck, even if its clapper is plugged, so that it not produce a sound, so that it not attract people, look attractive, because that's what people will do when they want to sell an animal. An animal should not go out with a bell attached to its coverings. Or a seal attached to its neck. 
or a seal to its coverings, or a strap on its foot, or a ladder on its neck. A donkey may not go out with a saddle cloth, unless it was affixed before Shabbos. A camel should not go out with a patch attached to its hump or tail. Unless it is tied to both hump and tail. All of these are concerns about the animal carrying something that it shouldn't. A camel should not go out with its foreleg tied to its hind leg or its foreleg bound. These would be things that would be done to animals to make sure they don't run away. And the same applies to other animals. Chickens may not go out with cords or straps at their feet. Rams may not go out with a small wagon tied under their fatty tail. Ewes may not go out with chips of wood that are placed in their nostrils so that they sneeze and dislodge the worms that gather in their brains. A calf may not go out with a small yoke that's placed on its neck to break its nature and accustom it to bearing a real yoke so that later it'll wear a real yoke for plowing. It's a training yoke. An animal may not go out with a muzzle in its mouth so it won't bite or eat. A cow may not go out with a pigskin on its udder, on its teats, so that crawling animals will not suck from them when it sleeps. It shouldn't go with a strap between his horns, regardless of whether it's placed there as an ornament or a restraint. By the way, many of these items that we're learning... Are, the Rambam in general gets his stuff from the Mishnah and the Talmud. So many of these items are dealt with in the Mishnah and discussed in the Talmud. It's not like the Rambam is making this stuff up. That's uh, like basic ABCs. Until it's pierced through its horns. I'm sorry. A goat whose horns are pierced. May go out with a rope tied to its horns on the Shabbos. But if he ties it to the goat's beard, it's forbidden. Lest it tear off, the beard can tear off. And whatever was tied to the beard, he's going to carry in a public domain. Anything similar. Yud twelve. Rams may go out with wide straps tied against their male organs so that they will not copulate with females. Or with a hard piece of leather strapped around their hearts so that they will not, not be attacked by wolves. That's the system they used. Or with an embroidered cloth that's placed upon them to make them gorgeous. Yews may go out with their fatty tail tied to their backs, exposing them so that the rams will copulate with them. 
or tie down so that the rams not copulate with them. It depends on what the intent of the owner is. They may go out covered with a cloth so that their wool remain clean. Yetzim, goats may go out, vidadeim and their udders and their teats, kshudas, bound, in order that the milk dry out, but if they're tied in order that he, the milk not go out until he milks them in the evening, because we don't milk on Shabbos, so they should not go out. Shabbos, a donkey should not go out wearing a saddle, even when it's tied upon it on Erev Shabbos, before Shabbos. A horse may not go out wearing a foxtail over the scarlet thread between its eyes. This is an unnecessary ornament and therefore considered a a burden. An animal may not go out with a bandage on a wound with plates on a broken bone or with a placenta that's hanging from it because it just gave birth. I'm sorry. Let's go back. An animal should not go out with a feeding bag attached to its mouth, nor with metal shoes, nor with an amulet that has not proven its working for an animal. And here, but the animal may go out with a bandage on a wound, with plates on a broken bone, or if it just gave birth, with a placenta hanging from it. So, I just corrected myself. We can plug up a bell hanging around the neck and allow an animal to walk around in a courtyard. One may place a saddlecloth on a donkey and allow it to stroll in a courtyard. But we may not attach a feeding bag to an animal on the Shabbos, even when it will not go beyond the courtyard. 14. This is the last paragraph in chapter 20. To wrap it all up, just as man is commanded to see to it that his animal rests on Shabbos, so also whom Mitsubi is commanded, that his male or female servant rest on Shabbos. Even though a male slave or a female slave are intelligent people, well, the das atzmanesim, and they decide what they want to do and what they don't want to do. Mitzvah leinu l'shamram. It's a mitzvah for us to guard them, or the monon to prevent them. Yasiyas malacha b'shabbos from engaging in labor on Shabbos. Shenemar, as it says, l'manyanu achshercha v'achamirecha, in order that your ox and donkey rest, v'yenofesh ben amoscha, and the son of your maid servant, v'hager, and the son of your foreigner should also rest. Who is this maidservant, servant and maidservant? We are commanded to see to it that they rest. These are full slaves. Who underwent circumcision. And immersed in a mikvah. And they accepted 
upon themselves to be a slave in a Jewish home, conditional upon the fact that as the halacha dictates, they have to become Jews. They accepted all the mitzvahs which slaves are obligated to keep. We learned earlier, and we will learn later in the laws of slaves, that when a slave is captured in war, as slaves wore back then, the slave is told, if you want to remain a slave in a Jewish home, you have to accept Torah and mitzvahs and Judaism. If you don't want to, we'll give you 12 months to think about it, and then we're going to have to sell you to a non-Jewish owner, which was usually not preferable. So the slave becomes a 100% Jew. And when he's liberated, he's 100% liberated. And he's as Jewish as the next guy. So when we talk about Eved and Omar, we're talking about these Jewish slaves who became 100% Jewish. But what if the slave says, I'm not interested in becoming a Jew, leave me alone. I'm only accepting the seven Noahide laws. Then they are like a settler stranger. They're not Jews. They may do everything they want to for themselves, publicly, because they're not Jews, and non-Jews are not obligated to keep Shabbos. Says, Before you get excited, watch out. You can never accept this settler, non-Jew, only during the time that the Jubilee is in effect, and that is only when the vast majority of the Jewish people are in Israel, and so on. Being that a settler convert can do work. He's not a convert. During that, the Gentile settler who accepts the seven Noahide laws, accepts the sovereignty of the Jewish people in Israel. He may do labor for himself on Shabbos. That's not a problem. The Geir said that, but a real convert, is as Jewish as the next Jew. So the question is, So who are we talking about? Who is the son of your maid and who is the convert? The answer is, this is the settler, who is hired by the Jew, to be like the son of his slave. He should not work for his boss, because we're not allowed to have employees work for us doing forbidden labor on Shabbos. But for himself, he's not Jewish, he can do what he wants. Even if this settler who refused to convert and become a Jew is his slave, he can do for himself whatever he wants on Shabbos but not for his boss. End of chapter 20.